Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow It's time again for Blog Talk Radio, The Catch. And uh, we are so glad you have joined us again on Tuesday night. Uh, We just love talking to you, and we love talking to very interesting people um, about uh, what is going on in the world. And Today, we have uh, uh, an, an incredible guest. Um, I've got to call him back because I just lost him. So you can hang on here. And, uh, we're going to meet our guest here in just a couple of minutes, if, uh, as long as he picks up. Um, Hello? <laughs> hi, Harold. This is John. Hi. I, just, uh, I kept hearing myself say hello to myself. <laughs> on the first time around. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. I I kind of surprised right. you there, and uh, but we are now uh, on the air already, and uh, um, so uh, I am just getting around to introducing uh, introducing you to our folks. Um, our guest today uh, is. Uh, the former dean of the Conservatory of Music at Wheaton College. He was there for many years, and uh, even uh, even there when I was there, so that makes me very old, and that, that makes him pretty old, but we're not going to tell you how, how old unless he wants to. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, this, this, this man has just been uh, at the forefront of Christian music, uh, music, church music, uh, boy, the the program was stellar uh, there at Wheaton and continues to be one of the greatest programs I know of um, in uh, higher education of uh, the the men's glee, the women's glee, the call, the choir, the orchestra, the band, and uh, all of the uh, the organ. Uh, boy, they had a beautiful organ there. I used to love chapel because I would just uh, kind of sit after chapel and bask in whatever student was playing the organ at that point. And, uh, and uh, they used, they love to open it up and uh, what a, what a great uh, experience that was. Uh, so, you know, there's a long history of music in the church and uh, many different types of music, uh, much more traditional back then when uh, I was a student and uh, when uh, when our guest was running the program and uh, and things have changed drastically in the church. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But first, just please welcome, uh, will you, to uh, Blog Talk Radio, the catch, our guest, uh, Harold Best. Harold, uh, welcome to the catch on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, John. It's good to talk with you. <laughs> so, Harold, how long were you uh, 
the dean there at at the conservatory at, at Wheaton? How many years? Uh, John, I, yeah, John, I was there 27 years, and I actually post-dated you. I came there in 1970, okay. and uh, and and then retired in 1997. Wow, wow, okay. Yeah, 27 years. I I just exited right when you showed up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I, I I was I was also there, probably when you were a student. I read a paper. I remember that uh, uh, I was asked to come out and read a paper, and I remember the title of it. It was called "The Climate of Creativity," and I remember reading it in Pierce Chapel, probably to the music major student body, and uh, then uh, flew back to where I was working at the time which was Nyack College, and I came to Wheaton from Nyack in, okay. in uh, 1970. Okay. Was that your uh, – did you have any other connection with Wheaton? Did you, did you attend Wheaton, or were you no. – uh, No. Okay. No, uh, I, I – uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. That's fine. I, I was just going to say, you, you, you know, you – you made the program famous, and I just uh, always associated your name with uh, with the conservatory. So even yeah. even though after I was there, you know, um, that's how I came. Well, you know, I, I, John, I look at that the other way around. Wheaton gave me an opportunity that I would have never had elsewhere. Uh, I, 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 I'm, it's a huge compliment for me to hear you say that uh, I made Wheaton famous. Wheaton gave me a chance uh, and a voice that I probably to this day do not deserve, but it was handed to me, and I did the best I could with it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, you're very welcome. Um, let's Before we talk about things currently, which I really want to get into, uh, uh, let's just looking back, what 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 would be some of the high points of your experience there that to stand out for you, maybe a story or two or whatever. No. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what sticks well, in your memory. Well, uh, uh, I can get to some stories. I, I want to start with one thing that I, I probably uh, never discussed with you and that you don't know about. Uh, I, I was teaching at Nyack College in New York, and I'm not going to dwell on that long, but I was teaching there and uh, working on my doctorate at Union Seminary in New York City. And hmm. I was not quite as close to the Lord as I should be, even though I was a Christian and Missionary Alliance preacher's kid and at work in a Christian college doing the best I could. But one day on my way to Union Seminary, I was driving down the Henry Hudson Parkway in a 58 Chevy, and the thought came to me, Harold, if you don't get really serious with Jesus, one of these days you're going to forget him and not know it. And I, at that point, talked out loud in my Chevy, Lord, bring me to you whatever it costs. Hmm. And it did. I, a few weeks later, I had a, a, a nervous collapse. I'm not going to go into the details. It's, it was something that I still, in a certain way, suffer from. But at, that was the Lord's way of breaking me into little pieces and then mm. slowly uh, remaking me, and that's not done yet. Uh, mm. But I, I, I came to Wheaton as a hungry 
Christ-loving, just crazy in love with the Lord, but not totally well. And I went through those 27 years with a certain burden on my back or in my heart or soul or whatever you want to call it that very few people knew about. And um, uh, that that story needs to be told first because uh, I did my best there under a huge burden all the while being remade by Jesus. And wow. uh, thank, thanks be to him, it's still going on uh, amidst dark and light and all of that. So th- that that's the main story. It, it, whoever's listening right now just needs to know that now is always the accepted time. Now mm-hmm. is always the accepted time. And uh, so it's in the nowness of... Mm-hmm. Uh, of Jesus' work that I'm still living, uh, and I can look back on the thenness and be thankful, and I certainly am. So wow. that that story needs to be told right off, right off the bat. I I deeply appreciate that because uh, that's actually one of the things we talk about a lot here. Yes. At, is yes. that is it brokenness is is a prerequisite <clears throat> to coming to Christ. Yep. It's just you no. Know, that's exactly right. He will, yeah. And he'll. I mean, here, here's the thing that I've discovered. Even in those times that I'm not sure he's around, uh, and by faith I know he is. But the, he breaks people, but he never abuses them. He always, always breaks in order to heal. That's mm. the big, the big thing. And any people listening to this broadcast who in any way are in the dark, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, what a good word. That's so good, yeah. Harold. Well, tell us uh, uh, what, something go ahead. about that, those years. What what stands out to you uh, uh, well, in out of that experience there at, at Wheaton? Well, I, I think one huge thing does, uh, John, and it involves uh, your history, even though you predated me there, but during those times, the 60s and the early 70s, was a time when you were active in in what we now call Christian contemporary music. I was active as the dean of a conservatory of music, the center point of which which was classical music. Right. And uh, I, uh, I was uh, part of that, let me call it tension, uh, which is uh, both a positive and a negative word. The tension lay in the huge, quick turnover between what we now call and then call traditional church music and what was also called contemporary worship music, or words to that effect. Yeah. So that was that was that was a very healthy tension. And I must admit that at the first when it occurred. Um, I was deaning a classical conservatory of music and used to viewing everything from an aesthetic viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, the Western high culture aesthetic of classical music was strongly at work at Wheaton, but also, especially among the students, the contemporary ethic or ethos was at work strongly and it was within the tension between those two things that I had to wrestle my way through, not to a compromise, but to a synthesis. 
and uh, the synthesis still holds. And uh, thanks be to God, it holds very well at, at Wheaton to this day under its present leadership. But that was really a, I, for a for a while when I was dean. I was I was spouting off, uh, aware that the Jesus movement was sincere to the very core. But I mm-hmm. couldn't understand why the Jesus movement people would vacate uh, the classical paradigms of church music so quickly and almost arrogantly at times. Yeah. Now, I say arrogant uh, more from my then mistaken point of view uh, than I would now, although I think there was error then, and I think there's error now, just as there is in traditional uh, art. Yeah, yeah. You know, I uh, I went, uh, Harold, I went to my 50th um, reunion at Wheaton, uh, yeah, I think a couple yeah. years ago. I think it was two summers ago. And yeah. one, of the, one of the things we did was uh, one of the parts of the program was to go to Edmund Chapel and hear uh-huh. a, a a classical piece done by the conservatory. Yeah. And Harold, I bawled my eyes out. I, I just... You did. <laughs> yeah. It was just... Yeah. It was so good, and the yeah, people yeah. were so sincere, and the music was so beautiful. It was like, oh my gosh, what happened to this music? <laughs> you know, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, let me let me tell you a, a counter, uh, <laughs> uh, an opposite sense I get as an old old man when I hear the gospel music that preceded Christian contemporary music, the kind of music that I grew up with in the Christian Missionary Alliance, altar call music and Sunday evening song services and things like that. When I hear that, this is interesting, it's exactly the same uh, impression that you had when you heard classical music. I, I I get tears in my eyes, I want to go back to that music, and I like to sit down at the piano and 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 hop it up as much as I can in the old classical gospel styles that existed then, both black yeah. and white. So it's interesting that you were nostalgic about classical music, and occasionally I I really get nostalgic about uh, gospel music and older Christian contemporary music. I must yeah. confess I don't know the new uh, idioms quite as well as I should. It's just because I don't get around that much anymore. Well, here's the feeling I had. Um, I, I'm back to my, my reunion, and I'm listening to this music, and I'm going, on one hand, though, Harold, I'm going, where are they going to play this? Where, where, yeah, where yeah, are they yeah. going to use this? What's going to happen to it? Uh, do you mm-hmm. have any yes. any answer to that or any comment? Yeah, yeah I do, because I, and again, it's a retrospective answer. But I can uh, relate that by telling you a story. Um, uh, in fact, maybe two stories. One is an encounter I had with a transfer student who came up to Wheaton from Indiana University. Uh, he he was a trombone major and went on to uh, uh, spend a huge part of his career as the bass trombonist of the Boston Symphony Orchestra. His name is Douglas Yo. 
And uh-huh. Doug was a transfer student at the time, and he, uh, we were in the office one day. I was helping him transfer some credits. And he said, you know, I said, how are things going, Doug? He said, well, it's fine, he said, because except here at Wheaton, all I hear about is full-time Christian service. And he said, I'm a music major, and I don't know how to put those two things together. And I said, well, you, they go together very easily because if you go out into classical music, you might not make it in a church, but you'll be able to do it to the glory of God in the place in which God puts you. And I said to him, I said, Doug, who knows, but then in 10 years, you might have a chance to tell Leonard Bernstein about Jesus Christ. And we let it go at that. Well, I I know Doug very well, and he told me that almost to the date, 10 years later, he was playing with the Boston Symphony Orchestra doing uh, Leonard Bernstein's Chichester Psalms, and after the concert, he went up and talked to Leonard Bernstein about Jesus. So uh, there is, a, you know, there was a place at that time for serious classical musicians, and it was out in the world more than in the church. And of course, being in the world is the place where Christians are supposed to be in order to make their light shine. And uh, somehow. Uh, 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 there's another gentleman by the name of Dave Geyer. He's at work in a in a uh, in a movement called the Crescendo uh, movement. I don't know whether you've heard of it or not. They're very active in in Europe, uh, but it's an and it's an attempt to bring uh, the worlds of music together under the name of Jesus Christ. But uh, and I'll use this word carefully in a subversive way. The, the object is to attract musicians from all over Europe into the simple making of music together. Jazz, classical, particular, particularly that spectrum of uh, con- contemporary music. And uh, his name, this gentleman's name is David Geyer, and he phoned me the other day and uh, re- related a story to me back when he was visiting Wheaton uh, uh, as a prospective student. He was 17 years old, and uh, one of our faculty members brought him in to visit with me, and uh, he had to tell me this story over again on the phone. I forgot about it, but, but I said, well, what are your interests, uh, Dave? He said, well, he said, I've got two interests, and I don't know what to do with them. One is evangelism, and the other is classical music. And I said, well, what, what's the big deal? I said, do them both. <laughs> and and he, you know, he blinked. He he went somewhere else to school, but he told me that 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 straight look in his eyes when I when I looked at him said, well, why not do both? He caught the synthesis immediately that there's always a place for everything in the name of Jesus as long as it's done well and mm-hmm. done consistently. So uh, th- those early tensions have since resolved themselves uh, to a great extent, both in the, the theologizing that I did as I made my way through that dilemma and the things that I've written, that synthesis has become pretty much publicly apparent. And, uh, and, and now I find that I'm dealing with, with how to reform the synthesis rather than to reconcile two opposing poles. And the yeah. synthesis still the synthesis is still in deep need of reform.
Yeah. Well, I love your your comment though about the fact that uh, uh, traditional, the classical music, ha- is is much more at home in the world uh, than it is yeah. in the church, yeah. and, and, and that's yeah. where we should be anyway. How how true is that? Oh, that's well. Yeah. yeah, I I I don't. As I said earlier, I'm I'm an older man now, and and uh, I I don't get around as much as I used to. But there, here's the interesting thing. It's ironic, and it's not theologically defensible. Um, during the early struggles between classical, or let's call it traditional, in church and Christian contemporary. The more liberal churches, the liturgical churches in particular, the Church of England, the, Angl- uh, the Episcopalian Church, uh, the High Lutherans, and so on and so forth, they were doing the what we would call traditional in the face of what others would call the contemporary. And um, uh, there was an interesting book that came out during that time. It was, and I'm not pumping anything that I've written. I participated in this book. It's called Exploring the Worship Spectrum. And um, it it was in those times when we were trying to reconcile the fact that that traditional is not liberal and Christian contemporary is not necessarily fundamentalist or conservative, that we're Hmm. all cockamamie in some way in relating idioms to... uh, timeliness and um, that that still goes on uh, and uh, whether it's to the disappointment or to the joy of the contemporists uh, the contemporary idioms have won out in conservative Christian worship but there are still a couple problems that whether or not we should discuss them that'll be up to you but still exist and among the, the traditionalists, uh, there's still that old thing that says high art should glorify God more than other kinds of art should. But in the yeah. meantime, there's a, there's a third element, John, that's so important, and that's the, the, the brightening of the discipline of what we call ethnomusicology, the music of the peoples of the world, because it's through Bible translation and the missionary mm-hmm. movement that the indigenous music of the people uh, had to be encouraged rather than for us to import Western music, namely right. traditional music, into the native and uh, original uh, ethnic con- context. So that that triple that triple uh, tripartite picture uh, I, yeah. I participated in, and I've I've got a working theology now that I think makes room for all three and at the same time as with everything christian we have to keep reforming yeah keep reforming yeah see uh, would you say then that uh we could think about uh contemporary music here in america as being our own ethnic uh, music that, that could be that 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 could be, and, and when you say ethnic, we have to talk not about the church but about the country. And mm-hmm. one of the things that that uh, both I think is noticeable as a phenomenon about America, but is also problematic, is the the paradigm of individualism. 
And um, I think one of the things that uh, still haunts contemporary Christian music in some quarters more than in other quarters is what I call soloism, where it's the individual or the small band of music makers making Mm -hmm. music in order to bring God down and the congregation has become a little bit less participatory, part, participatory mm-hmm. than it used to be in the old days when they sung, sang hymns in harmony with all their might, irrespective of how loud the accompaniment was. And I think the, what I call American soloism as a gen, generic phenomenon, I think it's it's illustrated beautifully in the way football has become centered in on the quarterback. That's soloism, as mm. compared to the team teamism that marked the beginnings of football through the the European game, the English games. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you look at American culture, one of the things that I think always sticks out on the negative side is that we love to sell snake oil off the back of a wagon. We have to be careful about that, no matter how we, no matter how we sophisticate it. And uh, in the old days, the revival days of America, Billy Sunday was doing a little snake oiling uh, off the back of a wagon, but he also, through Homer Rodeheaver, came out with some tremendous changes in American church music that uh, we still need to take note of. In fact, there's a new book coming out on Homer Rotaheaver and Billy Sunday, written by Doug Yo and somebody else. I forget his name right now. It's coming out um, um, in June. And it's it's a brand new look from uh, an evangelical standpoint at the kind of music that evangelicals used to make a little bit of fun of because it wasn't great music, but it was yeah. music that worked. So that, that goes on, that goes on, that goes on. And I think you can find it even in the way Paul addressed the early Corinthian church when he talked about psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Yeah. Harold, are you ever concerned, you know, like I got started in the 70s with uh, what we called Jesus music then, and we were not, we were mostly, were not playing in the church because they didn't want us. uh, That's right. Yep. Officer from the pit of hell. So, we didn't care because we were playing on the streets. We were playing for right. we were playing for the world. We were trying to bring people to Christ. And and now, That's right. little did we know that the music that we started would now become almost the major uh, uh, platform for music in the church with uh, yeah, it's, it's, drums, uh, lights, uh, the whole yep, yep. The no. whole deal. It's, you, are you ever it's the new tra- about that. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, it's 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 become the new traditionalism, and yeah. with it, there are both those who do it with great spirit-filled, Christ-centered clarity, and there are others who do it. I think uh, almost idolatrously or syncretistically, because they tend to think of music as that quality which will bring the Holy Spirit into worship or bring God down into the, hmm. uh, the congregational levels. In other words, music has become a little bit too causal. Uh, it's a cause that creates an effect 
And uh, that's, that really worries me because, to me, it's not an aesthetic question. It's a question of idolatry, not wow. aesthetics. Uh, and I think Christian contemporary has its own wonderful aesthetic and to which I've become not only uh, reconciled, but uh, within which I, uh, I can celebrate. So the question is less taste and aesthetics than it is the role of music either as an offering or as a tool. And it's the toolishness of so much Christian contemporary that frightens me, uh, not because of aesthetics, but because it's, it's using music to, make, to bring Jesus down, and that's scary. That is what the Old Testament would call strange fire. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Wow. Well, um, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. I want to hear <laughs> yeah. a couple minutes left, believe it or not. Tell me what you're doing now, Harold, because okay. I'm, uh, I'm yeah. you know, you're 90 years old. Let's not, let's not hide it. I think it's, you know, or you're going to be, is that right? Really soon? I'm going to be 90. I'm going to be 90 come next October. And uh, I'm retired, living in a senior community. I've lost two wives uh, to death, and I'm now a permanent widower. And I'm still wrestling, and, 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 and I'm doing a lot of writing. It'll never get published, but I'm writing things out out just as conversations between the Lord and Harold Best, an unworthy servant. I'm just trying to wrestle these things through. I've probably got 30 or almost 40 little essays written out that have to do with issues and, and desires and all of that. And it's just for the Lord to let him correct and, and all of that. It'll never see print, but it's just a way of talking to him. Uh, I'm so I'm so happy though to hear that, and it, that encourages me that we don't we don't. You say you're retired, but you're really not. You're not retired. From I'm not struggling. And, yeah, I used I used yeah. to tell my colleagues when they retired. I said, think of retirement as a slight increase in Sabbath, but a continuation of work in the presence of more Sabbath, uh, just a little more rest. Just a little more rest. Oh, that's great. That's great. And well, one thing else, John, just one thing else that will tie this up, I think, to both of our satisfaction. Wheaton has, of this year, now put in a worship and arts degree and has a uh, – and that degree is, uh, uh, is with the National Association of Schools of Music. And it's a degree that attempts to synthesize in exactly the same way that you and I are interested in. But now it's an academic baccalaureate degree that students can earn without being frustrated. Wow. So that's a good wow. way to, send, uh, to sum everything up. And so and in the process, do we find out, Harold, that worship is more than just music? It sure is. It sure is. It's living for Jesus. Living for Jesus. Okay. Well, this has been wonderful, my friend. Thanks. Thank you for giving us a few minutes of your your time. And and what what's? I know you have some books published. Which well, one would you like us to read? 
Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, one is on uh, on the uh, music from a Christian worldview. That's called Music to the Eyes of Faith. And then I wrote another book called Unceasing Worship that is still uh, is still being used. And then late, uh, just lately, a uh, few years ago, I wrote a book called Dumbfounded Praying, which is just a book of, of some 80-plus prayers that I wrote out that are not to be used in public worship, but private devotions, and they just represent uh, a hungry person trying to talk things through with the Lord. Uh, wow. It's a total total flop on the market, but it, it it's just it's me doing my best to bear my soul before the Lord. Oh, I like that. And that was called what? Dumb dumbfounded? Is that dumbfounded? Right? Pra- dumbfounded praying. P R A Y I N G. Well, dumbfounded praying. <laughs> oh, now I would buy that book, but I, probably a lot of people might not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that. Okay. Well, we will look it up, and uh, I'm okay. sure we can find your books on Amazon. And uh, yeah, that's right. They're they're there. I love your thinking, and and I love the fact that you're still going. So so and okay. Um, and thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And John, well, pleasure. Uh, a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Okay. Take care, my friend. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, there you go, folks. That was so cool. Um, I love talking to to uh, people who are a lot older than me, and I'm getting up there myself, but are still aggressive, still thinking, still grappling, still struggling. Still uh, working it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And I love hearing, you know, you heard his last three titles there. Just go check on uh, Harold Best, Amazon. You'll probably find him there. But, you know, isn't it interesting that there were two there where he's talking about his theme, his worship theme and music theme and all that but that last one is about praying and it it sounds to me dumbfounded praying which it sounds like you know we started this whole thing out with Harold talking about how you know the Lord took him through a breaking experience and uh, I have a feeling and he said it's still going on that process is still going on and he talked about the fact that this latest latest book, Dumbfounded Praying, um, sounds like that process. He's just writing right out, you know, forget the music and all that, just right out of my soul uh, what it means to pray and to struggle with my humanity and to get closer to Jesus. And, oh, boy, that's good stuff. So there you go, folks. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for listening to Harold's Thoughts. We've got more wonderful guests already lined up. Don't don't go away and don't stop listening. Uh, And remember, too, that uh, 
on uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the catch. We have got probably, uh, oh gosh, how many do we have now? Uh, close to a couple hundred uh, interviews over the last few years, and they are all podcasts now, and you can access them all right there at uh, blogtalkradio forward slash the catch. Uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash the catch there you go God bless you come back next week it'll be just as good I guarantee helping us to live our lives out in the world don't you love the way that classic music is is worth learning and training for because you know you can pursue classical music and evangelism at the same time (laughs) I love it God bless you take care we'll see you soon